In this episode, Jenny Stone, a partner at RBP, is joined by Ian Crompton, a director of Primary Care Finance Consultancy Limited. They're going to be discussing the different types of surgery finance available and the easiest way to raise funds. Also, the topical issues of interest rates at this time and the consideration to both fixed and variable rates and different strategies to consider. Accountancy on Prescription by RBP, one of the leading firms of medical specialist accountants. We know what you find tough, but don't you worry, as we know our stuff. Welcome to this episode of Accountancy on Prescription. I'm Jenny Stone, one of the partners at RBP, and I'm delighted to be joined by Ian Crompton, who is a director of Primary Care Finance Consultancy. Hi, Ian. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us on our podcast today. Really grateful for you for giving up some time to join us. Can you just do a brief introduction about yourself? Yeah, in Crompton, Lloyds Bank by background, 43 years and 11 days with Lloyds Bank. Um, <laughs> so I spent the last 15 years, or was it 2004, I actually set up the healthcare banking team within Lloyds and ran that there for the next 15 or so years. Then I retired in 2019, didn't want to totally pack up, so carried on doing some consultancy and broker work on the side, mainly from introductions such as yourself and valuers and solicitors, people that I'd sort of got to know over the years. Although my background is Lloyd's, and I still do quite a bit with them because they are still very good, I probably stress at this point that I am now independent, totally whole of market, as they call it. And so I guess it's a bit gamekeeper turned poacher, you could say. And the other thing perhaps to mention is I don't charge my clients anything. So there really is something for free. If I do any work for anyone, my reward, if you like, is from an introducer fee from the provider bank. They pay me for that and they're not allowed to pass it on. So I really am free. (laughs) It's very rare, isn't it, that anyone actually is free? (laughs) And also wealth of experience that you have, because I think we first met you when you were at Lloyd's heading up healthcare. Now, Ian, I know you've dealt with some of my clients just more recently about sorting out their surgery finance. Do you want to give some examples of kind of what you get involved in day to day and what you've been helping people with? Yeah, I guess the normal request is probably simple partner buy-ins, to be honest. You know, whether a partner change, somebody's leaving, somebody who's coming by, the retiring person. Sometimes full purchases, it's surprising. Actually, you've got a few landlords at the moment to think, often the landlords are actually retired partners, but whether they're actually buying the whole surgery, if you like. Also developments, extensions, that sort of thing, or general refinances and I always break that down into what I call forced and voluntary refinances. So just to explain that, the obvious forced one now, as you'll be familiar with, is Aviva because they've stopped lending. So when those Aviva loans mature, they need to refinance it. So I'm doing quite a few of those. The voluntary ones are more where, you know, there's been a lot of partner changes and they just need to reset it, if you like, and maybe bring new partners in, extend the term, et cetera. So that's what I call a voluntary refinance. So that's the main things that I do. Yes. Yeah. I've still got some of my clients have got those Aviva loans, but hopefully they're all mm. near coming to the end, aren't they? So those I think some go, yes, yeah, so they, they go into the mid thirties actually. Oh uh, gosh. Some, some yes. Still going. 
It's in very high rates still as well. Yeah, I was going to say, this is what clients will moan about, sort of <laughs> high rates that are still, they're still stuck in. And I know, and you're absolutely right, I've had a couple of my clients actually where ex-partners owned the premises and they were landlords for ages and then now they're looking to buy them. So yeah, we've definitely had a few of those that we've been dealing with recently as well. So I think you're absolutely right. We have a lot of partnership changes. So sort of older partners leaving and new partners coming in. So if you've got a new partner that's coming into a practice and they're going to be buying into a share of the building, what is the most common and easiest way for them to kind of raise finance for their buy-in? Well, the most common way, I think, is still probably individual partner loans, you know, unsecured individual personal loans. I say it's the most common, but I don't think it's necessarily the the best or or perhaps the easiest. One of the things, the big players in that really were NatWest and Wesleyan. Wesleyan, though, have now been sold and no longer do those loans. So the number of providers has has gone down significantly. In fact, if you get anything over 100,000, there's only NatWest really in town, as it were. Also, they'll only go up to two, three hundred thousand absolute maximum. And on the unsecured level, they'll probably be charging you potentially double digits on interest rates, so nine, ten percent. And so you, you've got a problem really where the value of property has gone up and the number of providers of unsecured finance has gone down. And sort of really since the financial crash, those margins, the bank margin has gone up significantly. I could bore you all day long with the reasons why around the crash and the capital adequacy, et cetera. But bottom line is a lot more expensive to do it. So what's the easiest way and the best way, I would always say, is to look at a partnership loan and actually do it as a secured partnership loan. Yeah, that's probably the best way now. I know we see when new partners buy in, we've got sort of a lot of situations where they've got a still a partnership loan. So they take over a proportion of that partnership loan, and then they obviously have to do a top up. So they may have to then take out an individual loan for the difference. So obviously, just when a partner's buying in, the property is valued. And then if they're buying an outgoing partner's share, then they've got to obviously borrow that money for that share. Some of it may be by taking over the partnership loan, and then they would take a top up of an individual. Now, I know, Ian, I don't know what your experience is on this, but I sometimes have practices where they've got a partnership loan, and then there's lots of partners that have got all these individual loans. So I know when we come to do partnership accounts, we've got all these different loans that they're paying. So do you think, I mean, is that a good option? Are there alternatives? Sort of how would you normally sort of give advice to sort of practices? Uh, well, uh, yeah, you're right. There are so many different things that you see. And so you've got to look at the entire circumstances. I mean, I think ultimately, I think that a sort of a single partnership loan with occasional top-ups as partners change is right. But you're absolutely spot on. People can get in a bit of a mess. And what I find often happens is, dare I say I'm going to be rude now perhaps to some people, but you get people that are okay, they're sort of happy with what they've got. And so when the new partner comes in, he's sort of, look, just go out and sort yourself alone because I'm, you know, we're sort of comfortable, thank you very much. So the new guy goes out, gets a personal loan, maybe even with another bank, and then the next guy goes to another bank and you get all these bits all over the shop. Sometimes they take fixed rates that can then cause problems when they've got break fees or anything. So... I think really that you should look at getting, I mean, I actually say you should you should get a sort of a strategy together, actually, as to how you're going to borrow and how you're going to own the property and how you're going to borrow and make sure it fits the ownership that you've got and that there's some flexibility in it for the future. Thanks, Ian. That's really helpful. Can you expand on that a little just regarding ownership? Yeah, I think first and foremost, you've got to be very clear on who the ownership is. 
So, you know, is it a partnership? I mean, in some cases, it might even be a company, it might be an investment partnership, as in you've got partners that are not physical partners involved. But I think for the sake of this, let's assume that we're talking about, if like, a simple clinical partnership. The problem could come to some extent when you've got a situation where you've got existing loans where people, are, you know, existing partners and the senior partners are quite comfortable. And then when a new guy's looking to come in, they're told to sort of just go off and sort your loan out without sort of looking at it as a, as a more structured thing. So they're looking at it as a transaction rather than an ongoing sort of strategy. And what I think is the best way forward is if you've got a partnership asset, which is a property, and you should look at having a partnership loan that obviously is secured by the asset and is used for the benefit of the partnership ongoing. One of the big benefits of having the security in place in the partnership loan is you get a much cheaper interest rate. I mean, I mentioned double digits of sort of maybe five, six, seven percent of a base rate. You should be talking about rates of two to three percent over base rate at the most if it's secure, which makes a big difference. But you do need this understanding that it's a full property ownership. And although some may owe a lot more than you know, the senior partners will owe less than the, the new partners, but it's sort of for the benefit of the partnership. The other important thing about linking the security and the loan to the property through security is I've been surprised and frankly shocked how many times you can find that the ownership on the land registry, it's, sometimes it's literally owned by deceased partners from many years ago. You know, And I think if you're borrowing money to buy into surgery, a huge amount of money, then... I'd like to think you've got a connection to the property rather than just handing it over, you know. So I think there's some benefits in making sure a secured property partnership loan. Yeah, as opposed to, I know when we do practices accounts, we can see, you know, within one partnership, they could have five or six loans where oh. they've, like you said, new partners have come in and they've taken loans. And also I get your point about different interest rates. I've dealt with one just recently and they've got an existing loan and one partner's come in to buy an ex-partner out and they're taking their loan on their own. But of course, a much higher interest rate compared to the other two partners. So there is a bit of a mismatch with, you know, the partners that have been there longer paying a low interest rate and the newer partner coming in is paying a much higher interest rate. And the problem um, there is if you start getting fixed rates involved, then that can be a blocker to new people coming in when a refinance might be appropriate. So you should look at it all as a, you know, I know it sounds over the top, but actually an ownership and borrowing strategy where yes. it's looked at in the round. Yes, yes. So sort of every time there's a transaction. And what about, I mean, are there risks for kind of the longer term partners being responsible for new partner loans? So when you've yeah, got these different yeah. loans? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's one that needs to be highlighted, to be fair, which is, the banking phrase is joint and several liability. And that means if it's a partnership loan, all the partners are basically liable for the lot. That's a simple way of putting it. So although you may have a situation where just to throw figures in the air, you know, somebody might even have paid off their loan, but they're still party to it because other people have got money outstanding. Technically, they are still liable on that loan from a banking loan point of view. But I think, again, you have to look at it in the round. First and foremost, they're liable on partnership debt anyway, aren't they, within within just being part of the partnership. But also, as you will know, this is really your territory, within the accounts, you will show the individual partners what their equity share is, if you like, what the value is they've got, and then what the value of their loan is, and then their individual equity as you were underneath it. So it's very clearly set out in the accounts whose is what, if you want to put it that way. And then the other important thing is the partnership agreement. And the partnership agreement should refer to the split of ownership 
and the accounts. And there's usually an indemnity put in there, which means that, you know, it's all recognised who owns what, etc. And ultimately, I, I mean, there is a risk, but I suppose compared with other sort of businesses, ultimately, notional rent is being paid into the partnership. Yeah. The notional rent should be servicing the debt. If somebody went AWOL and walked away, then you've still got the notional rent coming in, presumably through the agreed partnership agreement. You should be able to take over a sort of ownership anyway. And on top of that, you've still got the value of the security. You know, the, the property is still the there. The property itself, yes. Yeah. yeah, and I know when we do accounts, because you, like you said, if you've got partnership loans, you can have different partners. We have to keep a record, obviously, of all the different percentages that percentages. a partner will loan because an <laughs> yeah. older partner's share has gone right down. But yeah, you're right. They are actually all jointly and several liable for that loan as a partnership. But like you said, you know, if a partner did walk away and didn't repay their share of the loan, you've got the notional rent and you've got the asset. Yeah. So the risk, you know, isn't such a high risk. I should say at that point, I mean, I, I've that's a never say never, but I mean, in, in 20 odd years, I've never seen that actually become a problem. But hey. It's 20 years this year since I've been a partner and I haven't seen it like that either. So I think people worry about liabilities, don't they? So Ian, can I ask you, so let's say you've got a GP, they're looking to buy into the surgery, the premises, or you've got a GP practice that's just about to come out of maybe fixed share arrangements or wants to change their loans. And they're looking for what sort of loans are available. Do all banks offer the same? Are there differences in what's on offer? I mean, obviously, if you're independent, you'll know this better uh, than anyone. <laughs> yeah, look, all banks tend to be similar, but they're far from the same in what they offer and what they do. I mean, the other interesting thing I think these days is they're not even the same within the same bank. And what I mean by that is, some of you may you've probably come across it, is they tend to have business banking teams and commercial banking teams. I mean, the split is, is either done on turnover or debt, and some GPs sort of can, can straddle that. So you can go into a bank and speak to their business banking team and get a totally different answer to if you've gone in a different way and spoken to their commercial team, oh, or, wow. or depending on the I, size. Of, I didn't even know that. I just yeah. thought that if you go to that bank, that it's the same what they offer. No, I mean, the price could be different. The loan-to-value policy, yeah. et cetera, can be different. So you can get this situation where somebody might say, I went to X bank and they were great, they did this. Another guy goes into the same bank but speaks to a different team and gets a different answer. So you've got to be a little bit careful on that. And also the person you deal with within that bank, because you'll know there are some specialist teams. I mean, lawyers, that West partners, yes. they've got they've got specialist teams. You speak to them, they'll know what they're doing and they'll know what the right things are. And they know, well, do I say how special GPs are, that they are low risk, et cetera. Again, if you just walked in, as it were, or, or pick up the phone, you might speak to someone who doesn't appreciate that and might deal with them as a commercial client, which you get a totally different set of rates, loan to values, et cetera. So which bank you speak to is important, who within that bank is important, and the team within that bank. But just say, what sort of things do they offer? The big players, and that's the three that I've already mentioned, really, they will offer up to 100% loan-to-value, which I think is important because most GPs, I find, do want to borrow the full amount. But again, how they work that, some will do it by exception, some will charge a bit of a premium over what they call the traditional lending margin, which is usually two-thirds. So they'll charge one interest rate on what they consider the secured element, and they'll charge a little bit more above that. So the higher loan values will charge a little bit more. Some banks still offer an element of interest only. You appreciate that, you know, no, no capital repayment. 
obviously a lot cheaper on a month-to-month basis, but you're not repaying the loan. Some will offer interest only for like 25 years, full-length term. Others will offer what they call a capital repayment holiday, which is a subtle difference, because that would be, say, for example, the 25-year loan, but the capital repayment holiday is only for five years, so then you repay it off over the next 20. So, again, be careful of what you're getting offered there. The other big difference, I think, when dealing with banks now is this question about committed term. And some will offer the full term of 20, 25 years as a fully committed loan. Others will give a five or 10-year committed term, gives a cheaper interest rate, but you're not comparing like with like. Yes. And you know, I've had that just recently with one of my clients I've been dealing with. He's buying an ex-partner's share and we've just been running some numbers for him. And he's given me all these different examples. And you're absolutely right. He was like, it will be fixed for five years or there was this option. And of course, he was looking at what he could afford. So sort of the affordability of it. So yeah, no, you're right. And, And quite a lot of people have gone down that route. Are you able to sort of expand on it and just give some examples? As accountants, we love examples and numbers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if you go back, I don't know, 15 years or 10, 15 years, but pre-crash actually really is when it changed. Traditionally, you'd have got into a 25-year loan mortgage, 300 repayments. And if you didn't change it, that was it. You know, you took out the loan today and in 25 years, it's nil and, and it's repaid, which is fine. What you tend to find now is that a lot of banks, they'll do the loan as if it's what they call the 25-year profile. So they'll do it over 25 years and 300 repayments. But they'll only commit the funds for five years or 10 or whatever. And that's a bit like you're getting residential mortgages. So it's probably the best example there is with a mortgage. Again, when I took out my mortgage, it was a 25-year mortgage. And you know, if nothing changed, then it got repaid. Nowadays, if you get a mortgage, the odds are it'll be a 25-year loan, but you'll get a three-year deal, you get a five-year deal, maybe a 10-year deal, and then it gets reviewed. The same thing happens within the banks, that they will look to perhaps review after five years or 10 years. At that stage, a bit like your residential mortgage, the interest rate may change, you may fix it or whatever. The reason it's done, which is what people perhaps don't understand, is to do with liquidity. I mean, again, sort of get a bit technical, but it's to do with the liquidity post-financial crash was... It's lower risk to the banks and they're encouraged to have more liquidity, which means the loans, the funding isn't committed for so long. So where it matters to the GP or the borrower is it's a lot cheaper. There's a lot lower cost for the bank. So as an example, the traditional 25-year loan is still available, probably two and a half over base rate is a, is a finger in the air sort of figure. If you did a 25-year profile but with a five-year commitment, you'd probably get it about 1.6, 1.7 over base rate. So there's a significant difference in the rate. The little kicker on it, though, is to be aware that when you do the five-year review or the 10-year review, you'll have another setup fee. You shouldn't have security yes. costs and maybe probably would have a valuation cost, but you'll have another setup fee, which can easily be one or more percent, and the interest rate can change. So in a pure maths basis, if you like, it's probably cheaper to go for the five-year option. You've got to do the sums on it. But then there's the hassle factor, if you like. Another positive on that, to be fair, is if you've got a big partnership where you've got lots of partner changes and refinances on a regular basis, it could actually make a lot of sense to go for the shorter profile rather than spending on a longer-term commitment. Yes. When I mean, the average loan, the average GP surgery loan is between six and seven years before it refinances. So why pay for a 25-year commitment when the odds are you're not going to use it? Yes, 
Yeah. And especially as you're right, partners are changing all the time. So, you know, practices are often having to look at refinancing, aren't they, when partners change? Yeah, that makes sense. And certainly where we've sort of get involved, I mean, we obviously don't get involved in advising on the mortgages, but I often get clients come to me and say, Jenny, I've got, and the banks normally present a whole load of different examples of this, obviously this committed mortgage. And then we get involved with kind of looking to say, well, what's your notional rent? What's the interest on it? You know, and how does it sort of work out for them financially? So with everything sort of you've talked through, and it does get complicated, doesn't it? Nothing straightforward. How does a practice, if a practice are looking to sort of refinance, how do they decide what is the best option for them? It depends on circumstances. I mean, I go back to the start and where I would look at it if I was talking to someone. I think first and foremost, you need to look at your property ownership and borrowing strategy. So how is it owned? We assume you're a clinical partnership. Are all new partners expected to buy in? So you must need to be looking at succession. And you know, Is it going to be a requirement that when somebody leaves, they've got to sell, the new guy's got to buy in? You can put that in the partnership agreement to make it standard. I'm sure you've seen that. Time scales, you know, how, how long after they've left do they have to buy in, that kind of thing. And also what value is used. And we'll, we'll perhaps talk about valuations later on, but I think it's often best to set up this agreement and the understanding in the first place. Then when you get onto the borrowing side, Again, how you borrow, I would suggest a partnership, secured partnership loan for the benefit of the partnership. But then how are you going to do it? And as you said, there are all these different options. So do you want the lowest cost per month? Typically, people want to fit it within the the notional rent envelope, if you like. But I guess some of the options you've got effectively are, do you want to try and get a surplus on a month-to-month basis for ongoing income now? Or are you wanting to pay off the loan quickly and have equity tomorrow? So it's a little like jam today, jam tomorrow. Which way do you want to do it? And certainly from the example point of view, increasingly I see people who want to maximise the loan, take as much as they can, possibly top up every five years, maybe even have some on interest only, rather than building up equity. So they're almost renting it, to be honest. Whereas some want to pay it off. So again, it's what... Do the partners want to do? What options are available through the different banks? And work out what's best for your practice that suits everybody. But it's back to this idea of a strategy. Yes. And I think what I see is certainly when new partners are coming in, it sometimes it's just boils down to what what can they afford? You know, if you've got GP, oh. certainly in London, they've got big, big home mortgages, you know, it kind of boils down to actually can they afford the monthly repayments? And I think... Well, you'll know, Ian, that, you know, a lot of the GPs have had, you know, it's been really good because interest rates have been low. So, of course, their notional rent, and I always sort of stress to people when they're buying in, notional rent is only intended to cover the cost of the mortgage. But where interest rates have been low, the notional rent has covered interest and the capital. And now, of course, as we're seeing interest rates going up, the notional rent isn't supposed to cover all of your loan repayments. So I think new partners coming in worry about sort of their monthly loan repayments of capital. you're right I've seen sort of a few new ones coming in doing it on interest only because actually they're saying I can't afford the capital to repay out of of sort of their monthly income yeah if if there's one common ask it's as you say the new partners coming in are invariably the younger ones they've got kids they've got mortgages they've got school fees whatever it may be so the request is can we get the repayments to fit within what they can afford you know it's still often possible it's still regularly possible in some form but again it's a matter of making sure you've got the right loan and it's worked through not just dare I say not just taking what you're given by the bank but actually making sure that somebody's worked it through and, and done it for you. 
Yes. And obviously the increase in interest rates, you know, is a concern for GP, especially new ones that are coming in and buying in, taking over a share. What's your view, you know, on whether people should fix or should they stay on variable rates? <laughs> I better say here, this is not advice, okay? I'm not giving you advice <laughs> on this. It's a bit of a thorny subject that but <laughs> look, the only time you'll know whether you're right or wrong on fixing is with hindsight. Yes, of course. Nobody would have dreamt of having a base rate of 0.1% a few years ago, but that's where we got to. So what you have to look at is what is on offer and what do you think is going to happen? I mean, to some extent, if if you're uncomfortable with the idea of variable rates, then maybe you should be fixing. But what I think you should do is look at, for the period you're looking at potentially fixing for, so maybe five years, maybe 10 years, what do you think interest rates will do in that time? So now, you know, what do you think is going to happen to interest rates? The general sentiment seems to be they're going to go up a little bit now, but then they're likely to drift back next year or later on this year or into next year. And when you're offered a fixed rate, what you'll be offered is a fixed rate on the day you take it out. So instead of base rate, you're offered what they call a cost of funds rate, which is typically a little bit more. So base rate today is 3.5%. Cost of funds rate today is probably near 4%. So the question really is, if you're thinking of fixing for five or 10 years, do you think base rate over that period will be higher or lower than the cost of funds rate? And if you think, I think it's all going to go tits up and you know interest rates are going to get higher and it's going to be above 4%, then fix it. If you think that actually there's a lot of you know, government borrowing, unemployment, recession, whatever you want to say, and you think interest rates are going to come back down again, even though they may go up short term, you think they're going to come back down again, then maybe go variable. But the other thing to say on this is some people think it's all or nothing. It's either am I going to fix or not. On a residential mortgage, it probably is. On commercial loans, you can usually mix and match a little bit. So if you took out a mortgage with a 10-year review, for example, you could fix some of it for five years. You could fix 50% of it or 60, yeah, or whatever. So you can mix and match a little bit. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. And so that is really technically and in reality hedging. So you're hedging your bets and you're going, you know, I don't know whether to fix or go variable, so why don't you do half and half? You know, and then any increase that does happen is only half the problem. But if it goes down, you've got half the benefit. So, you know, don't necessarily go all or nothing, but you've always got that option of half and half. Yes, yes. And I think we do see that. I think certainly one I've dealt with just recently, I think that's exactly what they've probably done, actually, done a bit of fix and a bit of variable. And I think it always, I do think, comes back to what the partners can afford. The other, well, so one, one more quick thing on that, again, it comes down to which bank. So when you're looking at yes. which bank, looking at what it is you want and do you want fixed or variable, because some banks, most banks, will charge a fee for breaking any fixed rate loan. So if you did decide to come out of it, or you've got a lot of partner changes, you've got to come out, you get charged a fee for breaking that loan. There is one of the major banks who does not charge to break. So that might be something that would push you towards that bank. But you've just got to look at all the options. Yes, yes. And can I ask you, so I suppose this is the million dollar question, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Is buying a GP surgery a good investment? I suppose I've got to start on this one by saying, again, this is not investment advice. Oh, yeah, we don't, none of this is advice. <laughs> <laughs> this is just us having a chat. <laughs> yeah. So you'd be asked to explain this before, and I think the way I do it is say this, look, if you had £100,000 cash sitting on you, you know, what is a good return on that as an investment? So if you had £100,000 cash, 
base rate's three and a half percent. If you put it on a bank deposit or, or building society, whatever, you might get two, three percent, you might get four. If you went with a you know, put something in the stock market or whatever, you'd probably be getting something a little bit over that. But what is a good return anyway? Maybe, yeah, let's say three, four percent. The problem with that, of course, is you haven't got 100,000 in the first place. So that's where that sort of theory falls down. But with GPs, you've got the opportunity to buy an investment and borrow all the money for it. So what you have to look at is not just the return, the two, three, four percent. You've got to look at the cost of buying that investment, if you like, the cost of borrowing. So with base rate at three and a half a minute, as we speak, margin typically maybe two, two and a half. So your cost of borrowing is going to be five and a half or six percent. So if we then take it back to where the returns are on property, just to give a simple example, and let's stick with this hundred thousand. So you've got a partner who's got a chance of borrowing for a hundred thousand pound share of their property. Let's keep the math simple. If the share they were buying was a hundred thousand pounds and their share of the notional rent is going to be ten thousand pounds, they're getting a ten percent return. Okay. If they're if you know, it's £100,000 that they're getting a £5,000 notional rent share, that's a 5% return. Now, if you had the cash or whatever, that's maybe quite a good return and maybe quite a good investment compared with putting it on deposit. But you've got to take off your cost of borrowing. So in the example I've just given you, let's say that's 5 6%, then the 5% returns maybe not that good. The 10% return, I'd say, is pretty good. It's good, yes. Now, that's a very simplistic, and, and you'll be the first to say you've got tax, et cetera. On I that, know. You know <laughs> and, and you can feel that one. But also, the other thing I guess is to remember is, is the property typically over time will go up. The notion of rent typically will go up. If the loan's getting repaid, then, you know, simplistically, you know, that the NHS is paying off your mortgage at the end of it. Yes. You own 100,000, which is actually now worth 150,000 pounds. Your loan's repaid, and then you are getting potentially yes. a 10% return. So I think most people would say it's a good investment, but yes. that is not advice. I, no, and I think the same. I do think, you know, like you said, it's GP practice that the rent gets paid by the NHS. You know, it's sort of, as long as the practice is there, it's, it's guaranteed. But I know that younger partners coming in they're very wary about buying into the property but it is like you said it's a long-term investment when you leave your mortgage is paid off you've then got an asset to sell you're right I should just actually touch on the tax really quickly it's just to say because I think what I see is a lot of people kind of go yeah I'm going to get notional rent of let's say £10,000 a year and my loan repayments including capital are £10,000 I'm not making any money but actually what the tax man will look at is your notional rent is £10,000 but your interest on the loan might be £6,000 so you are making £4,000 profit so you would have to pay tax on it and actually the added cost as well is that Notional rent is pensionable income, so it becomes pensionable income and there's superannuation to pay on it as well. So, yeah, you're right, and you know, I should mention about tax. Yeah, um, it depends whether you're going to look at, again, it's back to this equity build-up or income because you just need to look at your particular circumstance. It's difficult for us speaking here to say what it is. But, you know, I've worked examples for people in the past where it may be costing them month on month in, if you like, personal cash flow, but when you look at what equity that is buying and through the capital it is still a good, if you like, long-term investment, even on a day-to-day basis, you're having to contribute a bit yes. longer term. It's still a good equity build. 
No, absolutely. And I think what's happened is I think with low interest rates, partners weren't having to necessarily contribute monthly because the notion went yeah, just covered everything. Absolutely. And I think it's now where interest rates have gone up, partners are having to contribute, but it's still trying to get them to kind of appreciate, well, you're paying off a mortgage and you're going to have an investment, you're going to have an asset at the end to sell that's that's what you're paying for. Ian, just as we sort of wrap up our podcast today, are there any tips on what practices partners need to watch out for? Yeah, a few little things. Things I always mention to people is about valuations. All banks will want a valuation completed by their specialist panel. Their specialist panel will consist of names like H. Rafley, Pinders, Christie's, the names you'll be familiar with, who are specialists in the market. The valuation has to be done on behalf of the bank because that's the way they get the benefit of the security and back to all these sort of regulatory sides of things. So it has to be done for the bank. So one little tip is if you've got a partner change, say, well, we need to know what the valuation is. If you go out and get that valuation and pay for it, you then go to the bank and say, can you provide the loan? They're going to want another valuation. So you're potentially going to end up paying twice. twice. So if you're in that situation, perhaps ask the bank to do the valuation, you know, hopefully agree to use that one. Also, make sure the valuation is done as an owner-occupied property, which is what it is. You know, the GPs own it and they occupy it and they're getting notional rent. And so it will usually be a valuation related to a multiple of the notional rent, in actual fact. But only this morning I had one on where the property was worth literally twice as much as a building plot, you know, to convert. So you say, well, the valuation is, you know, one and a half million that the professional valuation as an owner-occupied surgery would be less than a million. So, yeah, if you're agreeing the value, make sure you're comparing apples with apples and and it is an owner-occupied surgery. And just to say on that, the bank will only ever lend the lower of purchase price and valuation, their valuation. So, again, in that example I've just given you, no way is that guy going to be able to borrow 1.5 million because any professional valuation is going to come out way lower. The bank will always end the lower amount, not the other valuation. Another thing that's increasingly topical, and I guess it's around, you know, sort of sustainability and all that. Property now to buy and certainly to mortgage, you have to have an EPC rating of E or better. So the bank that you will be asked for the EPC rating, the energy performance certificate, yes. you know, like you get on fridges and all that. Yes. And the bank is not allowed to lend on a property that is not E or better. So, oh, okay. yeah, that's a regulatory thing. Tax, we, we've mentioned it a little bit, but one of the things we touched on early on was old or retired partners selling, you know, where there's been a gap in clinical ownership, SDLT, so stamp duty. Again, I've come across quite a few people where they want to buy it, they've agreed a price, but they haven't realised stamp duty is payable. So again, maybe your side of things to some extent, but yes. just beware and ask the question about tax. And also I've seen a few that have got VAT. Right. Battable properties. And that, again, makes a big difference because 20% straight off the yeah, top. If you've got so, tax. Yeah, making sure you know whether you're buying leasehold or freehold. There's a few I've had recently where they're actually buying leasehold. Banks will always want at least 25 years remaining on the lease after their loan has matured. So you probably need at least 50 years left. If it's ticking on from that, you might have a problem. And abatements is the other thing that you often see where a partnership have got a grant or, or something from the what was CCG and that their notional rent has been abated, so reduced to reflect that. The abatements are often over 10 or 15 years and so that can put a strain on serviceability of loans. So again, yes. you just need to work through every example, but beware of abatements. 
just finally, I guess my comments would be never assume your bank's going to offer you the best rate. When you're looking at it, you know, don't assume that's going to happen. You'll probably find that you can get a better rate elsewhere. Whether it's worth moving is another matter. And I'm happy yes. to talk people through that. But don't assume your bank's going to give you the best rate. And don't just look at the headline. Look at, you know, what term is it over? What else is involved? Any other fees and penalties? And I guess my long-term tip to people is don't look at the transaction. Look at it as a strategy. Look at longer-term requirements. So whilst 60% loan-to-value may work for you now and the bank you're with will provide up to 70%, question is when the next partners leave, etc., yes. you're going to need a higher loan-to-value. So think about that. And the sort of final tip is when you buy in, always think about how you're going to get out. Yeah. <laughs> so to some, you know, to some extent, getting other people involved and making it easier for new partners to buy in, it might seem, why do I want to be doing that? But ultimately, it'll be you wanting to leave. So, yes. you know, think about how you're going to leave when you're actually getting in. It sounds a long way off, but... No, and it, and, it, and it is a really good point because I think this is you know, where I see some practices where they've got partners that have been there and they're coming up to retirement and they're like, well, we haven't got a young partner coming in that's going to buy the property or they don't want to. So I absolutely a very valid point. Ian, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really, really helpful. So I think really anybody that's listening, I think if they're looking at raising finance for the surgery premises or looking to buy in, then obviously if you do want to speak to Ian, if it's all right with you, I'll put your contact details in the show notes yeah, that will go out yeah. with the podcast and then people can absolutely contact fine. you. No, thank you. That's been that's been absolutely brilliant. Just to say, if you're enjoying listening to our podcast and you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your colleagues and like and subscribe. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to RBP's Accountancy on Prescription podcast. For any updates, please visit www.rbp.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at RBPCA. The contents of this podcast is for general guidance and informational purposes only and does not constitute any form of advice. The information provided by RBP is of a general nature. Appropriate and tailored advice or independent research should be obtained before making any decisions. RBP does not accept any liability for any loss or damage which is incurred from you acting or not acting as a result of listening to Accountancy on Prescription.